If you want to get to Costco on the weekend, you got to get there before 6 p.m. or they'll roll those doors down on you. Or during the week, it's at 8.30. Or if you're catching a flight, you need to be there, at least domestically, at least a half hour beforehand. I found this out as a 22-year-old young man when I got there 10 minutes before the departure, but they had closed the doors and they were not going to let me on. Sometimes timing is a matter of life and death, right? We have ambulances or even our male life flights, right, that are trying to get people to help as soon as possible. Well, there was a man who was concerned about his daughter who was dying. And he had to get to Jesus and he was wondering, am I too late? Is Jesus too late? And as we look at this episode, we're going to see that Jesus is right on time. Jesus is good and Jesus knows the situation. And his timing is not always our timing. But he is worthy of our ultimate trust. If you have your Bibles, you might want to crack them open to Luke chapter 8. But before we get into God's Word, let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll see what the Lord has for us. Lord, I think of the song we just sang, how marvelous, how wonderful is your great love for us, Lord Jesus. There's no one like you. You are God in the flesh who came and dwelt among us. So I pray that you'll send your spirit and open our eyes to what you have for us today. Help us to see you for who you are. Help us to respond and worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord Jesus, it is indeed in your name I pray these things. Amen. Well, we're continuing our series through the Gospel of Luke. In the beginning of this chapter, Jesus talked about preaching the good news. Telling people the good news. And there were various responses to that as we had this good news land on different types of soil. But here's the truth. Jesus himself is, is the good news. Because he is God in the flesh, come to dwell among us. And only he can do what he can do as our Savior. And so we've seen in this chapter that Jesus takes his disciples, gets them in a boat, and goes across the water. And they experience a storm. He's sleeping. And his disciples wake him up saying, Lord, don't you see what's going on here? And he gets up. He says, be quiet. And the storm goes away. It quiets the waters. And his disciples say, who is this man who speaks and the weather listens? And he gets to the other side of the, of the lake, the east side, which is the bad side of the lake. It's where the Gentiles live. It's an area of uncleanliness. It's an area of idolatry. They grow pigs there to eat. No self-respecting Jew would go there. And the first thing he sees is some naked guy running up to him, yelling out at him. 
this is not an area that you want to hang out in. This man is possessed by demons. And yet he speaks and casts out the demons and sets this man free. Jesus even goes to the bad side of the, of the town, of the tracks, to show that he is a savior, not just for the good people. Not just for one group of people, but for everybody. So now he's made his way back to the other side. And this is where we pick it up. And what we want to see is that Jesus makes the unclean clean. So let's pick it up at verse 40 here. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. What we see at the very outset here is what I call terminal urgency. Terminal urgency. The crowd's welcoming Jesus back. Jesus, where have you been? We need you to stick around and take care of us. But Jairus, this synagogue leader, and by the way, as a synagogue leader, he was, he was in charge, of, he was a, a layman, he wasn't a priest, he wasn't a Levite, but he was in charge of making sure the, the scrolls were there to read the Torah, he was in charge of the worship, kind of a, a lay coordinator. But now he comes and says, Jesus, I, I need you to come. My daughter is dying. Now, if you're with us in the gospel, you've seen that some of the folks in the, in the synagogue, they don't necessarily get along with Jesus. There's a contentiousness between Jesus and some of the, the leaders and the rulers of the, of the synagogue. But it doesn't seem to be true of Jairus. In humility, he falls at Jesus' feet. He asks Jesus to come to his house I mean, he really is just crying. Maybe he's desperate. Time is of the essence. But you know what's interesting is Jesus graciously goes with him. He, he doesn't say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. Now, did you believe in me a week ago? He doesn't do that. He just says, no, I'll go. I'll go. But going to Jairus' house is easier said than done. Because what he encounters next is what I call a touchy interruption. Second half of verse 42. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, and, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Well, they all denied it. Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Again, you know, Jesus and Jairus, they're, they're trying to make their way to Jairus' house, and the people are just crushing me. Everyone wants to touch Jesus. Everyone wants a piece of Jesus. I mean, the, the, the verb there is actually means to choke. And it felt like Jesus was being choked even. Right? 
But then Luke introduced us to this certain woman. She was a woman who was subject to bleeding, probably coming from her uterus. It's a pretty sad situation. Ladies, think of a, of a period that doesn't go away for 12 years. It's just she's perpetually bleeding. That's what's going on. So there's a physical toll that's taking place here. She had been bleeding for 12 years. The entire life, by the way, of Jairus' girl. It's a long time for blood to flow. Took its physical toll. It also took a financial toll. She had spent all of her money to try and be healed of this. But no one could help her. So she was financially destitute. There was also a spiritual toll that was taken. Because of that blood flow, according to the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 15, she was excluded from worship. She couldn't be admitted to the synagogue or the temple. She was socially isolated. She couldn't go out into society for fear that she might touch someone and make them ceremonially unclean. So here this woman is. She's excluded from society, from worship, financially destitute. She's stuck. And there's nothing she can do about her state. But then she finds out Jesus is coming. And all of a sudden, she has hope. And her only thought is she needs to get to him. And she's willing to take a risk. She's willing to take a risk of having to fight her way through this crowd. I mean, she probably is kind of tooth and nail. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but it can be a little panicky, right? But she's willing to do that. She's willing to take the risk of being found out because she could get chastised for making others unclean. So she's willing to risk that, that public humiliation. She takes a risk, and the risk pays off. She touches him just the edge of his, his garment, the, probably the tassels of his cloak. And she's healed immediately. And she feels it. She knows it. But the strange thing is, so does Jesus. Jesus knows that she's been healed. Jesus knows that power has gone out from him. She wants to be healed incognito. <laughs> Jesus says, uh-uh. No, wait a minute. Somebody touched me. What, what, what do you mean, Jesus? The crowd's all around you. Peter's going, come on, Lord. Come on, everyone's trying to touch you. No, no. Somebody touched me. I know it. I felt the power come out from me. And the woman sensing that Jesus knows, knows it's only a matter of time before she's found out. That's what it says in verse 47. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. And she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Interesting. It's like a confession. She confesses that she had this ailment. She confesses that she was unclean. She confesses that she made a plan to touch Jesus, and she did. 
And she confesses that she had been healed. And she's cringing in fear that Jesus, this holy man, is going to turn around and probably strike her with some affliction worse than what she had. Because you don't reach out to a holy man with your uncleanliness. At least that's what the culture said. And maybe some other rabbis would have chastised her. But Jesus' response is beautiful. It's wonderful. He is full of grace and full of truth. Verse 48, Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now there's some things I want you to see here where we are so far. Okay? First of all, Jesus, as I said earlier, makes the unclean clean. Here in this gospel, we've seen Jesus reach out to a leper, touch him, and make him clean. We've seen Jesus reach out to a dead man and rise him from the dead and make him clean. We've seen him reach out to a demoniac full of unclean demons and make him clean. And now, this woman, he reaches out, or she reaches out to him. And makes her clean. You know what's interesting? Is not only is this woman healed, but in essence, as Jesus does this publicly, he is restoring her to the community. You are healed, therefore, you are now clean. So, part of what's going on is Jesus doing this publicly restores her to the community. Here's the other thing I want you to notice. That following the law could not make this woman clean. That following the law could not make this woman clean. Now, now listen to me. Think about this. This woman had been following the law for 12 years, keeping herself ostracized, keeping herself, you know, out of, out of uh, harm's way for the public, if you will, making them unclean. Shh, that didn't heal her. That did nothing for her. It didn't make her clean. All it did was told her that she was unclean. I love this quote from Ravi Zacharias when he talks about the law. See, because the law represents God's perfect standard, but oftentimes it also represents our efforts to try and please God. But here's what he says. He says, the law is like a mirror. The law is like a mirror. It shows you that your face is dirty. But you can't wipe your face with it to get clean. You need a faucet. All the law can do is tell you that you're dirty. Here's the point. Sometimes we're trying so hard in our own efforts to please God. But we can't. Because the problem is the standard is perfection. And you and I can't meet that. 
we sin, we miss the mark. And the truth is, spiritually, we are like this woman in this account. Spiritually. We are stuck. We are unclean and there's nothing we can do about our state to improve it. We're unable to help ourselves. We're unable to keep God's standard. But Jesus kept God's perfect standard. He's able to do what we are not able to do. And the good news is, is that he is on a restoration mission, a redemption mission to make the unclean clean. To restore back to God, to restore back to himself what had been lost. And just as Jesus restored this woman to health and to cleanliness in society, so he has come to make us clean before a holy God. Because you see, the means to appropriate healing, restoration, or salvation is faith in Jesus. The means to appropriate healing, restoration, or salvation is trust in Jesus for who he is and for what he has done. Again, I love how Jesus responds. He says in verse 48, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. That word also, healed, can be also translated, your faith has saved you. It's a word for soteriology, for Savior. That your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's the same words he said to the woman who was the sinner who came to the Simon the, the Pharisee's house in chapter 7, verse 50. Your faith has saved you. The Apostle Paul commenting about this said this in his letter to the Romans. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for everyone who believes. Everyone who has faith. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed that is by faith. From first to last. By faith from first to last. For it is written, the just, the justified, if you will, will live by faith. The means to appropriate this healing, this restoration, is by faith. Second of all, I want to point out just the fact that he calls her daughter. Daughter. Your faith is has healed you, has saved you. Go in peace. Realize Jesus is only 31, 32. This woman is probably older than he is. Probably older than he is. It's not appropriate probably for him to call her daughter, except if Jesus is someone more than just a good teacher. Unless Jesus is ushering someone into a new family. 
And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. If you're familiar with John 1, 11, which says, To as many as received Him, even those who believe in His name, to them He gave the right to become the children, the sons, the daughters of God. See, Jesus is indicating that she's receiving family membership into the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know where everyone is at here in this room in relation to Jesus. But maybe you've been trying really hard to be good enough for God. You're trying really hard because your efforts feel good because God is just. God is holy. It seems like the right response. But the truth of the matter is you feel like you're beating your head against a brick wall. You're failing. You can't do it. You're all too aware of your own faults. Join the club. Welcome. Welcome to the people who can't make it on their own. And the scripture tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that's where Jesus steps in. That's where Jesus steps in. And we need to get to Jesus. The one who makes the unclean clean. He restores what's alienated. He has the power to heal and to save. And that comes by faith in Him. Who He is and what He's done. If that's you today, I'm going to pray for you at the end of this, this sermon. So be paying attention. Because you need to get to Jesus, as we all do. So all this is very exciting, right? This woman got healed. She's restored to the community. Except for Jairus. is going, um, tick-tock, Jesus. My daughter's still at home and she's dying. And it becomes even worse. In fact, it becomes what I call terrible timing. In verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. You know, for a moment, I just tried to put myself in Jairus's shoes. It must have felt like an anvil going from his throat to his stomach. Just, I'm too late. I, I tried. I failed. And then there's this inner conflict. I'm sure he's kind of going, I'm grateful for what's happened to this woman, but this delay cost my daughter her life. Wondering, Jesus, you traded out this woman's healing for my daughter's life. I wonder if that was the inner conflict that he was struggling with. Here's a truth about following God. A lot of you already know it. 
Our timing is not God's timing. Our timing is not God's timing. But He is good. He is all-powerful and He sees the beginning from the end. And God does some of His best work when things seem helpless and hopeless. If you think of Jesus' own story, He seems to go to a purposeless end. This guy that was supposed to be the Messiah, he dies at the hands of the Romans and the Jewish spiritual leaders. And his disciples are sitting there, why did I follow this guy for three and a half years? What was this all about? Until three days later, when he rose from the dead, to show that he has conquered sin and death. By the way, guys, I told you the whole time that's what I was going to do. So it makes me feel like I'm in good company when I don't get it. But he was very much alive, and he was right on time. So Jesus hears this message that comes to Jairus. And he extends to Jairus what I call an invitation to trust. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. Or literally, as he just said to the woman with the bleeding, she will be saved. Same word. Jesus calls Jairus to get his eyes off the report and onto himself, onto Jesus. Jairus, you just saw what I did in healing this woman. Now trust me. Trust me that I can do the same thing in your daughter's life. And that's the challenge, right? In that moment, when it seems like all hope is gone, when time has run out, am I going to trust what I can see, what I can feel, what I can hear? Or do I believe that God has the power over these circumstances to, to do much more than what I can see, feel, or hear? And I don't know, as Jesus said these words, what faith Jairus has. But he has enough, maybe a mustard seed, a sliver, enough to continue with Jesus. So at verse 51, it says, When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the, ch the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Now when Jesus arrives, there's a lot of hubbub going on. So first of all, what he does is he pairs down his own entourage. Right? Just takes Peter, James, and John. Sometimes you just can't invite too many people into a situation it can be a distraction, even if it's your own people. But second of all, and I think, I think Luke has, has kind of reversed the order of things. Because the first thing I think he actually encountered were these people who were wailing and mourning. And in that culture, if you had somebody die, you would hire people to wail and mourn for you. You would hire even someone to play a funeral dirge on the flute. But that 
In that culture, it was the funeral arrangements. They were proceeding. They were going forward the, the reality that this little girl had died. And Jesus says, stop wailing. She's not dead, but asleep. And they laugh at him, saying they know. They know she was dead. Now, here's the deal, folks. I don't think, I don't think Jesus was in denial. He was just living in the reality of what he was going to do. Sleep is a euphemism for being dead. And Jesus has come to overcome or conquer death. But here's the thing. In Jesus, those who have put their faith in Jesus, if you experience death, it's just like you were sleeping, getting ready to be awoken. In Paul's classic chapter about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, where he's testifying to the reality of Jesus' resurrection. And because of the reality of Jesus' resurrection, which was witnessed by 500 witnesses, by the way, it's not a, it's not a myth, it's not a legend, it was an eyewitness account. But those of us who put our faith in him have an opportunity to be, will be resurrected, I should say. And he says, behold, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep. He says in verse 51 of chapter 15, but we'll be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. What an amazing thing. Jesus is here to show his power over death. And as he passes by those who laugh, those who think he's just trying to put a positive spin on things, he takes his three disciples, Jairus and his wife, and they go up to the little girl's room. And then in verse 54 it says, But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them, Give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but they ordered them not to tell anyone what, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Here's what I want you to notice. You see it again? Jesus makes the unclean clean. He reaches out, touches this corpse, which would make Jesus unclean, but the reverse happens. He brings life back to her. In fact, Jesus brings the dead back to life by his own authority. If you're familiar with the big picture of the story of the Bible... There were two other very powerful prophets, Elijah and Elisha, who they prayed to God very extensively for two young men to come back to life. And they did. But that was looking to the authority of God. Jesus, by his own authority, reaches out, grabs a girl and says, Little girl, get up. My daughter, get up. Immediately, there's something different about who Jesus is. And it says that her spirit returned. That word is pneuma. It means air, spirit, breath. It harkens back to Genesis chapter 2 where it says God breathed into man's nostrils and he became a living soul. 
Jesus beckons her spirit back into her body. And Jairus saw first to him that Jesus, that God in Jesus was well in control of this situation. And listen to this. And that Jesus cared about this situation. And listen to this even more. And Jesus cared about this situation enough to let her die. He cared enough to let her die in order that she might know and that he might know her dad, the one who gives true life as they would put their faith in him. Because by the way, this girl is going to die again. We don't know when, but she's not walking among us now. She died again. But now she knows the one who gives her life and gives her eternal life. She knows the one who is the resurrection and the life as Jesus talked about himself in John chapter 11 verse 25. God cared enough to let time run out in order that he might show that he is the life. Then it says he had them give her something to eat. Proof of life. I guess she was starving to death or something. I'm not sure. I'll be here all week. Thank you very much. And then he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Why? Don't you want people to know Jesus? Well, Jesus knows. He knows the public. He knows the crowd. He knows that they would have tried to make him king. And Jesus has a very specific timing. He has to die. But at the right moment, when he's accomplished his Father's will, and the time is not yet. But here at the end of this, this message, this message is an invitation to faith for all of us. For some of us, it might be an invitation to faith because we've been trusting in our own resources. Trying to get to God, trying to be right, trying to be acceptable, justified. And we've come to the end of ourselves like this woman did. And find out we got nothing. We need to get to Jesus. We need to put our faith in Him. Because He's the only one who can please God. But here's the thing, is that in putting faith in Him, we can be justified. We can have His righteousness. That's the good news, right? We need to get to Jesus. Second of all, though, there's some of us in here that might feel like time has run out. Something has died. And this is a call to put our faith and keep our eyes on Him. And I don't know what that is for you. But he wants to show you that he is good. And he wants to show you that he does see the end from the beginning. And he's in control. 
And that He wants to do something great in you that you could not experience if things just went along normally. He's here to show you that His timing is perfect. And that He is the resurrection and the life. This is a call, an invitation to faith. To put our eyes on Him and say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to keep my eyes on You and trust You till You show me what You have. As I think the time has run out. Our timing is not His timing, but His timing is perfect. Let me pray and invite the worship team to come up and close us. Let me say, if you're that person today who's been trying so hard in your own ability, resources, and you've been trying to please God on your own, You need to get to Jesus today. Again, reminding us of the verse we talked about earlier. John 1.11 To as many as received Him, that is, accepted him into them into Him into their life by faith. Even those who believe in His name, believe in what He has done in His life, death, and resurrection. Trusting that He paid the price, that He conquered sin and death. Those of us who put our faith in Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God. Today, you can become a son, you can become a daughter. By admitting, as this woman did, Lord, I am unclean by my sin. And I ask your forgiveness. But now I take you up on your offer to put my faith in you, to trust what you have done in dying in my place on the cross and in rising from the dead to give me life. I put my faith in you. Come into my life. Change me. Make me your own. And I take you at your word and I say thank you. And if that's true of you today, you can pray that prayer and the Lord Jesus will enter in and start His transforming work in your life. And Lord, there's some of us right now who are in a place where We feel like the time has run out. The clock has run out. Something has died. And we wonder where you are. And you are right in the midst of it, Lord. So would you help us to get our eyes on you. To trust you. To walk with you. And to show us what you have. Even in allowing something to die that you might bring something to life through it. Lord Jesus, you're the Lord of life. You are the resurrection and the life. And so by faith we trust you, we look to you, 
to make all things new as you said you promised you would. Lord Jesus, do your work in our midst. Make us a people of faith who have all of our confidence, all of our eggs in your basket, knowing that you are returning one day and you are the one who gives us eternal life. And it's in your name I pray these things. Amen.